Years ago, I took a, a trip to Mexico. Um, one of the places we went was Chichen Itza. You ever been to Chichen Itza? It's an ancient Mayan ruin on the Yucatan Peninsula. It is literally in the middle of nowhere. And um, it was my family, my extended family, um, and a, a family who's very good friends of ours. And um, we hired a driver to take us because there was civil unrest in the Yucatan at the time. And it's a lot of armed conflict. So we, we had a, a driver um, to take us. I wasn't real involved in the selection of the driver. My dad and his friend were. And, and I suspect the driver was heavily armed uh, on the journey. We were moving at some high rates of speed through the jungle. We had a, a great day in Chichen Itza, except for uh, certain family members, not myself, of the female persuasion, is that a persuasion, who uh, were struggling with the uh, restroom amenities in Chichen Itza, which were rather lacking by American standards. And, and I remember going to the top of one of their, um, well, I didn't make it all the way to the top, one of their pyramid things. I made it about halfway up, freaked out, and sat down. I thought I was going to have to call for a helicopter. And on the way home, the driver said he had a great place for us to go. He wanted, wanted to take us before we, we left, got back to the city. And he, he pulled off the side of the road. I mean, these are dirt roads with people carrying dead monkeys on their backs and, and large automatic weapons at the same time. And he pulls off the side, and, and there was an entrance to a cave. And I remember thinking, we're all going to die in the Yucatan. What do you, what do, you do when, when your armed driver pulls off the side of the road and says, I'd like you to walk down into this cave? And I remember thinking, yeah, th this, this may be it. We're, what's going to happen when we go into the cave? And we walked into the cave because it was determined, what are we going to do, run? And we got down, and there were these, these stairs carved into the rock. And at the bottom of the cave was the most beautiful underground lake I had ever seen in my life. The lighting on it, it would come through a tiny crack in, in the roof. It was just unbelievably beautiful. Why do I share that story with you? Remind me at the end to put it together, all right? I was just bored. I want to tell you a story. I'm, I'm, I'm making up for lost time. It's a short sermon, okay? I'll tell you another story. One year we went to... No, I'll tie that one in. Today we are going to uh, look at John chapter 6. It's a story um, that you're probably highly familiar, familiar with. It's the story of Jesus walking on water. You ever hear this one? Well, as we look at it today, we're going to look at it a little differently um, than you've probably looked at it in the past. But let's, let's set the stage. What, what's been going on in the Gospel of John? These are not hodgepodge events, you know, just compiled for the heck of it. Last week, we looked at the feeding of the 10,000, right? We've seen uh, Jesus teach Nicodemus about being born again. You've got the, the woman of Samaria. He's uh, the living water. You have uh, the Jewish authorities in the trial. He's saying, I'm God in the flesh. He turns the water into wine. He's cleared the temple. He's healed an official son. He's been doing a lot of stuff. It tells us about his nature and his character, right? Today, we have the disciples. They've just distributed food amongst 10,000 people. It's, you imagine how tired you'd be at the end of a day like that? You walk in the wilderness. You have no food. A miracle takes place. You distribute it. You are emotionally and physically drained. What do you do at the end of a day like that? You go home and you rest. What do the disciples do at the end of a day like this? Well, let's have a look at that. It's not quite what you'd expect. <clears throat> in John chapter 6, starting in verse 16, we see, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across, to, across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. 
Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. They're in a boat, they hit a storm, Jesus walks on water, they get to where they're going. It's a Bible trivia thing. You want to remember the information for a game of Bible trivia, right? So if they say, where were the disciples going when Jesus walked to them on water? Be like, oh my gosh, Capernaum, Capernaum, I got that one! If you read it quickly, that's basically what you get from it. Some facts stick in your head for a game of Bible trivia. But if you slow down and see what's going on, I think, I think you may be a little amazed at the, at the uh, specifics of what happened here. First thing I want to talk about is Jesus knows what he's doing, is what the rest of that point should say. Jesus knows. Actually, I'll back it up. What's the title of the sermon? It's so clever, I've got to point it out to you. See Jesus. Is it spelled right? No. Isn't that so cool? Aren't I so witty? All right. The first point is Jesus knows. Imagine you're one of the, well, why are the disciples in the boat? If I told you because Jesus told them to get in the boat, what would you say? Am I adding on to the text there? doesn't say that, does it? When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. I think the story works better if Jesus made them get, or told them to get in the boat. So can we go off that premise? Is that fair if I just add it on because it flows better for a sermon? I can say that because it's true. This event is recorded in two other places in the Bible. And if I don't flip to the right page, I'm going to give you a bad reference. This is recorded in Matthew chapter 14. Verses 22 through 33, in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 52. And we'll, we'll back and forth to those. But what happens is, you ever wonder why we have four Gospels? Here's a little bit of a glimpse. Same event from three different guys, a di- little bit different perspective from each person. If you look at Matthew or Mark, you can go ahead and flip there if you don't believe me, but if you go to Mark chapter 6, you're going to see at the beginning, Jesus told the disciples to get into a boat. Renee's on her way there. So, Renee, you, uh, he's lying if I'm not telling the truth, all right? Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Matthew works too. They both say that, don't they? Right, he immediately made them. So, so can we go with that now? Someone's, you, when, when I say something that's not there, you've got to object. You've got to yell at me. Jesus told him to get in the boat. Think about this. You're one of the disciples. Jesus says, get in the boat. You get in the boat. You go out to sea. Wham! A storm's on you. Wind. Waves. You're rowing like crazy and you're not getting anywhere. What are you thinking two, three hours into this? Oh, Jesus is good. He knows what he's doing. He sent us, us exhausted disciples, out into a boat in a stinking storm to make no headway. It's three o'clock in the morning and I just want to lay down. What is wrong with him? Maybe. What would you be thinking if you're in that boat? Think about who's in the boat. Remember Nathaniel? John chapter 1. Jesus calls Nathaniel, or they bring Nathaniel to Jesus. I guess Jesus calls him. And he says, uh, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree, and Nathaniel and the fig tree were a lot further away than Jesus' eyes should have been able to see. And Nathaniel goes, oh my gosh. He says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Well, Nathaniel's in the boat. How the heck... Can you see me under a fig tree where you can't see that far, but you mess up and send us into the bad water? How do you feed 10,000 people, but you can't tell that it's going to rain tonight, Jesus? What is wrong with you? They're rowing out in the sea. You ever have a situation like that in your life? Jesus tells you to do something. First, you're exhausted. You don't feel like you have the energy to do it. But he tells you to do something, and you try it, and it's not working so well. 
You're making no head when you're saying, is God against me? Has God forgotten about me? Why would God put me in a position like this? Or why would God allow something like this to happen to me when the only options are doom, destruction, or death? You ever think of the situation in life that way? Why, God, why? What is wrong with you? Don't you know what you're doing? Another thing we do sometimes is we don't even get into the boat because we assume God doesn't know what he's doing. We see the proverbial storm brewing in the sky, and Jesus says, get in the boat, and we say, heck no. Don't, don't you see what's coming over the horizon? Jesus, I'm not getting in the boat. Or we get in the boat, but we hug the coast so we can jump when the raindrops start to fall. But let's assume we've moved beyond the refusal to get in the boat and the hug in the shore, and we'll go out into deep water when Jesus says, go out into deep water. And it goes really, really bad. Two hours into the boat ride, if you took a pole, any disciples you think wish they didn't get in the boat? Two days from then, do you think any of the disciples would wish they didn't get in the boat? Pretty cool how this story ends. We'll go into it in great detail. First thing you and I need to realize is Jesus knows. We don't. The thoughts we have in the middle of the storms tell us a lot about who we think Jesus is. If we sit in a boat in the middle of a storm of life and we think that God's forgotten about us, we don't know God very well. If we think God doesn't know what he's doing, we don't know God very well. If we think that he has some desire to, to cause us to suffer and struggle for no reason, we don't know God very well. Our thoughts tell us a lot about who we think God is. So if you find yourself ever thinking that way, that's okay. Realize the problem isn't with God, it's with you. Because we don't fully know who God is. Jesus did not forget about the disciples at all. Jesus didn't have to log on to AccuWeather.com to find out what the weather sailing conditions were for that night. Jesus is AccuWeather.com. You know? Who, may, who makes the weather? Can you imagine God... Oh, I hope it snows next week. No. The man makes the snow. Jesus knew the weather. Jesus didn't send them out at the wrong time. He shouldn't have sent them by land, but accidentally sent them out by sea. He didn't leave them out there too long. They may have thought all these things, but the simple fact of the matter is Jesus knew the weather. He knew the conditions they would face. He knew how much they could handle, and he knew exactly when to go out to them. First point I want you to get through this story Jesus knows. There is no situation you are going through, you will go through, or you have gone through in your life where Jesus doesn't fully know what's going on, how to take care of you perfectly, and when to intervene very deliberately. Okay? Don't forget that. If you find yourself questioning the truth of that, realize the issue is not with, us, not with God, it's with us. Here's the deal. Two hours into the boat ride, the disciples would have freaked out because they didn't know that Jesus knew. Two days after the boat ride, the disciples would have taken the trip again because they would have knew that he knew. Each week you get one bad grammatical comment out of me at least. Probably there are hundreds, but... The secret to their success was that they knew that he knew. For us, the question becomes, do we know that he knows? Point two, Jesus is... So, let's go back to Mark. I'm going to flip this thing over there. Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, boom, 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 he made the disciples get into the boat. He went up on the mountain. He was praying. Evening came. The boat was out to the sea. They were making a little headway. And we get to verse 51. It says, actually, no, I'm going to take it a little differently. I'll start earlier. 
And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. He was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. Notice that Jesus saw what was going on. That's not changed in our lives. For the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, that's called about 3 a.m., he came to them, walking on the sea. He, spent, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking by on the sea, they thought it was him walking on the sea. Wow, I need better glasses. There we go. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Cool? Did he do it? Just be like, cool. I'm cool, dude, Jesus. Could Jesus have stopped the storm from the shore? Could Jesus have appeared in the boat like that? Could he have just made them go to the other side without even uh, letting them know what he was doing? Could he have told them not even get in the boat in the first place? Why walk on the water? Because I'm super cool dude, Jesus. I can walk on water, I can fly. Why did Jesus, you ever stop and wonder, why did he walk on the water? I mean, it's a really cool thing, but why? Could have hovered, flew, swam underwater three miles out. These are all super cool things, supernatural. Why walk as opposed to fly? Why not just yell out from the shore, Calm storm! Like, wow, we heard him from three miles away and the waves stopped. You know there's a reason he walked on the water, I wouldn't ask the question. Do you want to know why he walked on the water? You and I, I'm putting I into this, into this comment, okay? We struggle with biblical literacy in ways that people back at this time didn't. Now, if I said to you, You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where's that come from? A few good men. If I, if I make a reference to the soup Nazi, where's that come from? If I talk about trampling the waves of the sea, what the heck am I talking about? Want me to show you? Go ahead and flip in your Bible over to Job chapter 9, verse 8. First one there, just start yelling like crazy. Not really. Guy Renee? You want to read Job chapter 9, verse 8? Trample the waves of the sea. When I say soup Nazi, you say Seinfeld. When Jesus trampled the waves of the seas, you know what the disciples said? Job 9 8. Actually, they wouldn't say Job 9 8 because the chapter and verse weren't there. They always said, Look, trampling the waves of the sea. But it wouldn't stop there. They'd also think of uh, Psalm 89, verse 9. You know what Psalm 89, verse 9 says? You will in a second. I'll read it to you if I get there. Psalm 89, verse 9, starting verse 8. It says, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107. I'll get out of these psalms for you. Verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Soup Nazi, Seinfeld. You want the truth? Few good men. Trampling the waves? Uh, that's God. Calming the storm? Oh my gosh. How did this guy... Pull a Job on us. Pull a Psalms on us. Who is this guy? Why did Jesus walk on the water? Not because he's super cool dude Jesus. He's making a point. You know what his point is? 
I am God. If you look in there, uh, see now I'm in the wrong spot. If you look in John, Jesus says uh, to them, it is I, ego I me. Someone else said that back in uh, Exodus. Moses said, if they ask what your name is, what should I tell them? What does God say to Moses? Tell them I am has sent you. Jesus is saying, you know Job? Of course you know Job. You know the Psalms? You know Scripture? You know me. When they say, oh my God, they mean, oh my God, that's not an expression. Jesus walked on the water because he was making a point to a hard-hearted, stiff-necked people who he was patient with beyond belief. It's a side note. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you and I were willing to feast on God's word the way he calls us to, do you have any idea how much differently we would view life and know his will? Because if you and I were in the boat, I'm putting I in that situation, and I saw Jesus walking on the water, I'd be like, wow! I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh. See, I'm going to have to look back here. Psalm, 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 Psalm 89 and Psalm 107. I have to look at the reference. But if I feasted on God's word such that I could recite it, like I could recite lines from Seinfeld, you know, I could tell a great joke in, in the boat. We're freaking out. Oh, but guys, I know we're freaking out, but remember that episode where Kramer made fusilli statues? And we'd be laughing our heads off. It's pointless. But if I could say, guys, let's not freak out. He's walking on the water because he's God. Remember what the Psalms say? In our lives, gosh, how many storms do we go through where God has spoken so clearly and we wonder what's going on because we don't know what he says? Well, we'll talk a lot more about this in the weeks to come. But maybe you say, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. We're busy people. We don't have time to read the Bible. That's what I say in my head, at least, sometimes. Well, did I make the point that Jesus knows? Did, should we argue that point a little bit? He knows. We were talking yesterday about, about the difficulty of Bible memorization, right? Um, it's hard. I can't do it. It's, uh, but finding the time for it is... is I, my mind doesn't work that way. I, me too. I'm right in there. But if Jesus tells us to do it, does he know what he's talking about? Jesus prepares us perfectly for tomorrow, but if we don't want to be prepared, tomorrow's still coming. Oh, he'll get us through. But the question is, do we want to go through with flying colors, or do we want to, do we want to scrounge through you know, with bloody knuckles and bloody knees, pouring tears because we don't know what's going on? Jesus knows. Jesus is. Jesus delivers. What happens in, a, in John 6 is that Jesus gets in the boat, and then what happens? It's kind of... It, there are a couple other passages in the Bible like this. It doesn't say he got in the boat, and they got to shore. It says that he got in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land. Now, there's a story of Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch when he shares the, shares the gospel with him from Isaiah, and then immediately he was found somewhere else. It's not like the boat just got rowed to the land. It was like the land. You know, now, not a big deal when the guy comes walking on the water because he's God. He gets you to the land quick. This is not a parable. This is not an illustrative story. This is a true historical event. This is no less true than any uh, event in history that, that you have seen. Okay? But there is a universal truth in this. When you and I welcome Jesus into the boat, 
Okay, Jesus comes up to the boat and he's, he's saying to us basically, may I get in? Think about that. God says to us, may I? God could get in the boat if he wanted, but he doesn't force us to love him because that's not love. He says, may I get in the boat? And if we say yes, do you know what happens? Immediately, all your sins, past, present, and future forgiven. Immediately, you've entered into eternal life. Immediately, you become a child of God with a full inheritance. There's a whole lot of immediacy and immediately that happen when you let Jesus get in the boat. You will not make it to the destination apart from Jesus. The journey of life, no one has ever hit their, their ultimate destination apart from Jesus. You row into the wind. You make little progress ahead way. You live a pointless, meaningless life with, with, with no fruit. You can believe a lie and feel like you're having fun. But you'll be worn out, you'll die, and you'll spend eternity separated from God. Now, why would someone want to live that way? Oh, we are so intolerant with the message we have to share with people. Because the message we have to share is, it's not on the back of a van, it's all over in a year. The message we have to share is, it doesn't ever have to end. If you welcome Jesus into the boat, he will immediately take care of your your, uh, sin problem. He will immediately make you a child of God. He will take you to the promised land rather than just the land. It's an illustrative truth found in this story. But it's not where I'm going to end today. Jesus knew, knows, he is, he delivers. We what? What do you do with this? You're going to leave here today? All right, so Jesus is God. He knows what he's doing. Okay. Didn't you guys, most of you guys at least, know that before you got here today? Could have saved some time if I stopped there, but I won't end there. What's missing from John's account? Disciples go in the boat, storm, Jesus walks out, they make it to the shore. This blows my mind. What's missing from John's account? Anything else happen around this story you may be familiar with? If I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, I I knew that part. Let's let Matthew tell you. Where is it, Matthew 14? Now remember, you get different perspectives of the same story. It blows my mind that John didn't include this in his account. Why? I could only guess. But think about how amazing it must have been from John's perspective, the entirety of the event, to exclude this. What does he exclude? And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. How did John leave that out? You know how he left that out? There is so much amazing stuff that goes on in this event. This quick story of the disciples in a storm, Jesus walking on the water and taking them to shore. I think John says something along the lines of if all the events of Jesus' life were recorded, perhaps the world would not have the space to hold all the books. Right? Think about how amazed John must have been by this event to not include the part about Peter. Huh? I think maybe we miss a bit of what Jesus was saying by, walking on the, by, by he walking on the water. But let me ask you guys this question. Have you ever walked on water? I have. 
Now, now you might think I lost my mind. I have. None of you have ever walked on water. I'm not talking about I walked on ice and ice is water. Or, you know, I can stay underwater for 20 minutes and you hold a cup over your head. No, I've actually walked on, on water. Proverbial water. I've never, I've never done the stepping on the splash and stuff, staying on the stop. But Peter walked on water. This is clearly not something that only God can do because Peter did it. It's something you can only do if God allows you to do it. Peter walked on water because Jesus commanded him to and he stepped. If it was only up to him, he would have sunk, but Jesus kept him up. Let me rephrase my question. Have you ever done anything that you couldn't do apart from the power of God? Do you know what it means to be a Christian? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Keeps going. Does anyone here love Jesus? You've done something like walking on water. That's a miracle because you can't love him unless he opens your eyes to the truth. Has anyone here ever borne fruit of the Spirit? You've walked on water. Has anyone here ever had a desire to grow in their faith? You and I are called to live a life of walking on water. We're called to live a life of doing things that we could not do on our own, but we could only succeed in if God allowed us to succeed. Here's what's easy and hard about being a Christian. Jesus says, do this, and this is something you will fail at miserably if you try to do it on your own. But if you lean on me and trust in me, you can't fail. It's like you come up to the edge of a cliff. He says, jump. If you depend on yourself, you will die. If you trust in him, you can't fail. But what do you do? That's our life. As a Christian, our life is about putting ourselves in a position of complete and utter dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through. And as we do, we will never fail, but as we trust in ourselves, we will make a mess. Now, I'm not saying leave here and go find a cold, cold lake and try to walk across. Because you will go down unless Jesus said, walk. But if Jesus tells you to walk across a cold, cold lake, don't start thinking, but if I go under, I'm going to die of hypothermia. Well, you will, but you're not going under because he told you to walk across the lake. When did Peter have trouble here? He doubted and got distracted. Anyone here ever doubt and get distracted? Happens sometimes, right? We take that first step on the water and the world yells at us, What are you doing? You're going to die! Oh, they're right! And we start to sink down. Don't believe what the world tells you. Believe what Jesus tells you. There's a very interesting passage we'll get to in in several weeks, in John 14. I'll give you a glimpse of it. Peter walked on water. Jesus walked on water. Jesus did some cool stuff. We ran through a few of those, right? The feeding of the multitudes, the healing of the guy at the pool of Siloam, the official sign, the water into wine. How cool would it be if we could do things like Jesus did? How cool could it be if we could walk on water like Peter did? Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know what Jesus has to say about that in John 14? Well, I'm going to tell you. Verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, ready for this? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. He's going to the Father to do what? To send us the promised helper. It's the Holy Spirit. And as we receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying, you know all the stuff I did? You're going to do greater stuff than this. Do you feel like you could do something like that? You and I sit, talking yesterday, uh, I was sharing how I'm a bit of a hypocrite. 
had a conversation with someone about the urgency that the Bible gives us of sharing our faith with those who don't know Jesus. Intellectually, I can, I can support that argument clear as day from the Bible. Practically, I don't live like that. Sometimes, brief moments of time, but not all the time. Makes me a hypocrite. I have a desire to not live that way. I, I've gotten closer to not living that way. I, I'd like to be crazy like the guy driving the van, but with the truth. I want to I I have the urgency that God gives me. I, I want to have the desire that he wants me to have where I walk up to people I know and who I should love more, and I say to them, do you have any idea how much God loves you? Do you have any idea what he desires for your life? Here's what it is. Living like I believe it. And if they think I'm crazy, they think I'm crazy. The problem is that I doubt that God's going to work. Sometimes I pray for people in my family to come to faith, and there's a part of me that doubts that God will or can actually do it. And as that goes on, my feet start to go lower and lower in the water. Anything we pray in God's will, will receive. Think about that. If Jesus calls us to something, and we trust him enough to do it, and stay focused on him, and we don't grow weary of doing good, in due season we're going to reap, right? We're going to reap a bountiful harvest. What happens is, we walk into the field, we look around, we say, it's poor soil conditions, there's not enough, uh, not enough sunlight, the temperature's off, this stuff isn't going to grow, let's just get out of here. Imagine if God said that about someone like Paul. Imagine if he said it about someone like us. God would say, I see no potential in these people. What are they going to do for me? I'm not saving them. Got news for you, folks. We don't have much potential on our own. We were, we were not welcomed into the kingdom of God for our horsepower. Why we were welcomed into the kingdom of God? Uh, that's a tough question to answer other than the grace, love, and mercy of God. We have nothing to offer God on our own. But he has eternity to offer to us. And when we accept him, we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And I think the reality of that is where we struggle. God, in the f- God, not in the flesh, God in the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The same power that created the heavens and the earth lives in there. And we wonder, could I walk on water? Well, of course you can walk on water. He who made water dwells within you. Could I really be used powerfully by God? Yeah. You have no idea. Greater things than Jesus did in his earthly ministry you could do. This is not saying that you can save the world through the atoning. This is not dealing with the atoning work of Christ. This is dealing with the signs that Jesus and the disciples did. What I'm saying is simply this. You and I have a boat that Jesus told us to get into when we were born. He pushed us out into the waters of life and we left our mommy's womb. And we found we live amidst, amidst a storm. And God has given us clear signs over and over and over again, saying to us, I am God. I'd like to get in the boat with you. The first decision is, do we let him in the boat? Who do you say I am? Do we let him in the boat? Do we trust him when we don't see him, that he knows what he's doing? Do we trust that he's going to deliver us? Do you want to walk on water is the question. The invitation's out there. Want to see me walk on the water? (laughs) The words of the Bible are not recorded for us to just have a history book and think, oh, how cool it must have been to be a disciple. Uh, You know, how cool if we could have been in the boat and seen the waves and, and watched him walk. How cool if we could have seen the whale spit Jonah on the beach. If we could have walked through the parted sea with Moses and the... The reason these are recorded was so that you may know that Jesus is God, so that you may know who God is and how much God loves you. 
the disciples would probably have loved to switch places with us to an extent. We have the complete and full revelation from, from God of who He is. They had to sit in the boat and see how the story played out. So when we go for our boat ride, we already know how it's going to end. We know who walked on the water and who still can walk on the water today. So I'll leave you with this. It's a pretty cool story of Jesus walking on water after the disciples. But he didn't walk just to give us a cool story. He walked to show us that he is God, that he wants to get in our boat, and that there is no reason for us to be afraid of anything, because he invites us to walk on the water. And when we step out of the boat, like Renee was praying before we started today, where we keep our focus determines our buoyancy level. My prayer and hope is that you and I will be highly buoyant people, because as we are, we will do truly amazing things and be utterly amazed by what God will do in and through us. Let's pray. Father God, I just I, I thank you for this story uh, that is recorded in your word. I pray you would make this uh, a more real event to us. I think in our heads we can, we can agree with the fact it's a, a true historical event as, as an inauguration of a president or a war of the past. But would you help us to believe that more fully so we can more fully understand who you are, more fully understand who we are, and what you have done for us and what you desire to do in and through us as children of the Most High God. God, help us to not be a doubting people. Help us to not be a people of little faith, but a people of deep faith. Help us realize that will never happen if we depend on ourselves, but if we trust in you with all our heart and lean not in our own understanding, if in all our ways we acknowledge you, you will make straight our paths. You will give us a faith that cannot be explained by the power that we have in ourselves, but only by the power that you have. I pray you make us a people of utter and complete dependence upon you. I pray you use this church and make this a church that is completely and utterly dependent on you moment by moment for its survival and its success. And in so doing, when people look to us as, or at us as individuals or us as a church, they see you. They see something that would fail utterly, either in our lives or in our life as a church, if it weren't for you sustaining it and guiding it, and that you would do mighty things through us. I pray that we would define success by your definition and not by the world's. I pray that when you called us to step on the water, we would step. When you told us not to step, we would wait. And that we would trust in you in each moment, knowing that you know everything perfectly, that you see everything perfectly, that you are a deliverer who has never failed in delivering anything, and that the choice is for us to make, not of who you are, who you are is determined, but for us to know, God, that you in fact do know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.